So when you're able to understand and be aware of the facial expressions you're using, you can choose better facial expressions, if you will, for certain scenarios or better body language in different scenarios that can portray trust and confidence to your clients. Welcome to the Sawyer Vet Now What, the podcast. This is a show that serves as your audio mentor in your journey as a veterinarian. And each week, our awesome host, Dr. Mariah McCauley, will be bringing you insightful short-form interviews with happy, successful vets who are eager to share their career and clinical tips to make your life easier. So whether you're a final year vet student or a recent graduate, this podcast is your trusted companion on the pathway to success in veterinary medicine. Over to you, Mo. Welcome back to So You're a Vet, Now What? I am your host, Dr. Mariah McCauley. Today on the podcast, I am pulling from the archives as we look at an intro to empathy. As veterinary medicine is quite honestly 95% dealing with people and 5% caring for their animals, it's quite easy to see how important empathy and communication is. In this episode, I look at nonverbal communication and emotional intelligence as the foundations for empathy. And there is a lot to unpack in this episode, so let's jump right in. I miss being in Scotland, but... When I was there for vet school, I was involved in a couple veterinary organizations, and one of them in particular meant that I had to travel down to London every now and then for some business meetings. And I I, I mean, I, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before that I'm really not a city person. Like, I like going to cities for visits, but I don't really enjoy living in them. So, going to London City. It's a it's a little bit draining for me, but it's still exciting. I still really enjoyed my time there, but really, just like flying into London, and I was I tried to be on a budget, so I like flew into one of the outer train stations and took the train in, and then of course, the closer you get to the city, more and more people are piling on because it's early in the morning. All the businessmen and women are piling onto the trains you get and then eventually you get to the tube and if you've ever been on the London tube you know the definition of human sardine I had never experienced that kind of sandwiching before in my life until I got there and I literally was like I don't think I can make myself any skinnier or any smaller and yet I am just like enclosed by people everywhere which granted I have no idea how they're able to do all of that right now with COVID situation because there is absolutely no way to maintain a six foot distance on the London tube. That would just be an absolute nightmare. So I'm glad I'm not there right now. But anyway, when I'd be traveling there for these meetings and I'm on the London tube and then finally you get released from the prison. First, you have to like shuffle your way towards the door being like, excuse me, pardon me, coming through and just like gently elbowing people out of the way and trying to... um, (laughs) use your body language to be like, excuse me, I need to move towards the door. Let me free, please. And eventually you get to the door, you kind of collapse out of the door because everyone else behind you is pushing you forwards um, in the most polite, 
but slightly rude British way. And then eventually you're released from the tube and you kind of go out into the train station and you walk up the stairs and the light starts pouring in through the doorway and all of a sudden, poof, you are in London and it's just like you stop and you can tell that you are definitely the outsider who's not there normally because I had to like shuffle around to the corner, open up my phone, look on Google Maps, being like, where the heck am I going? Even though I looked at this map five times that morning trying to figure it out beforehand. And then you just kind of have to take in the moment because it's not every day that you are in London City just getting to watch the culture that is happening which London compared to Edinburgh is rather different. People just interact with each other so differently. And it's a little bit comical. Um, They like to joke a little bit that people in London don't smile. They don't really like people being, I don't want to say they don't like people being polite or genial. It's just, it's kind of funny how they interact with each other where it's like, I have my plan. I know where I'm going. You just stay out of my way. And if you smile at me, like, heaven forbid, like, why, why are you smiling at me? I don't know you. Um, why did you just say good morning to me? Uh, like, it just confuses them for some reason. And that's just their culture. That is just the way it is. And I just enjoyed, like, watching this kind of comedy, if you will, um, playing out, which for my people who are from London, I apologize. This is just the, the outsider's view of what I experienced when I was there. It's not everybody's experience, but just just go with me for a moment here. And so I'd go to my meetings and that would be fine, whatever. And then leaving my meetings, I always tried to plan my my airplane ride back to Edinburgh with a couple hours in between the end of the meeting and when I'd actually have to get back on the London tube, which rush hour London tube, again, not fun. But I would always just go and walk around London. And I posted about this um, yesterday. What would that would be? That'd be like Tuesday. Um, just about going and walking around London. And I was within walking distance of the London Eye, of Big Ben, um, of all of these like major land points um, within London. And it was just so cool to see them and watch how people interacted with the the nonverbal communication, like the facial expressions and the body language, just people watching. Honestly, it's so much fun when you're in a place that you don't live and getting to see how they all interact with each other, especially considering like most of the people who were there were tourists at the time. So they're just from their own little microculture and then they're plopped into this culture and seeing how everybody interacts and it's just really fun to watch how people use their eyes how they use their body language um, to communicate these things because it's not like people are, are walking around being like excuse me pardon me like actually using verbal language to navigate a sidewalk or to get through the London tube or anything it's all nonverbal, and it's just I don't know that's just the joy of people watching which if you are in some, like you can do this anywhere. You can be in like a food court, you can be in vet school, you can do whatever. And just watching people, even if it's just someone walking down the sidewalk, seeing how they are interacting with their environment, like where are their eyes going? What are their their shoulders? Are they open? Are they closed? What kind of signals are they giving off that normally we just, we just process it subconsciously because it's so much faster um, nonverbal is so much faster than actual language. And 
this is, it's just really neat to, to think about like all the things that our brains are able to comprehend and understand without any verbal language. So the reason I'm talking about this is, of course, like I mentioned in the beginning, like vet med is 95% human and like 5% animal, which even the animals, like they don't use words. It's all nonverbal. So, so much of what we do every day is just understanding and using nonverbal communication. And that entails using your facial expressions and it entails using your body language. And I bring this up because of the idea of body awareness. And I don't say this in a way like you need to be so hyper aware about every single little thing you're doing because that just causes body fear and that does not project confidence. When you are aware and in control of the facial expressions that you're giving off or the body language that you're using, that actually comes off as confidence and trustworthiness, especially for our clients. So when you're able to understand and be aware of the facial expressions you're using, you can choose better facial expressions, if you will, for certain scenarios, or better body language in different scenarios that can portray trust and confidence to your clients. And you just have you get to practice these skills to the point where it just becomes much more subconscious and you you're able to read your client and say, oh, right now they're giving off a body language or nonverbal that says they're really confused. They're really unsure. How can I use my body language, my facial expressions to portray confidence and trustworthiness so that the words that then follow have a little bit more hold, have a little bit more value, and thus reinforced that trust, reinforce that relationship and that bond with the client. So that's the nonverbal side of things, which even talking about animals, like think about fear-free medicine. That's all understanding and using nonverbal communication, which fun fact, um, horses, they have, they're able to make 17 different facial expressions. And that is, let's see, three more than chimpanzees and 10 fewer than humans. So horses are actually able to do a lot with facial expression, with nonverbal communication, much more than we originally thought. And animals in general are just able to understand and react to our own nonverbal communication much better than we initially have thought. So if you guys ever go down the rabbit hole of animal nonverbal communication, you might need a shovel to dig yourself out of. It's pretty cool. I did that yesterday and I lost track of a couple hours. But anyway, so that's nonverbal verbal communication. How this all ties into the next topic of emotional intelligence is the fact that emotional intelligence is that awareness, that control and ability to express one's emotions to better use your nonverbal communication when you actually have this awareness. And Dr. Monica Tarantino and I talked about how to practice these skills and awareness of ourselves um, in last week's episode. So go and uh, click that one after this and kind of refresh yourself on that. But it's also your ability to handle relationships judiciously and empathetically, which couple posts ago, I, I put up, what was it that I said? Basically, when you succeed at nonverbal communication, that's when you are considered empathetic. And empathy is that ability to understand and share the feelings of another. So 
in one aspect, it's um, your ability not just to mirror and say, oh, I, I can reflect the thing that you're doing, but to actually understand what is going on within their brain. What is like, what are their fears? What are their goals? What are their expectations? Whether it's for their pet, whether it's for that for themselves in that in that room in the consult room those are all things that when you're able to show the client or tell the client that they are understood that they're heard that they their thoughts and their actions and who they are and their pet have value like that is when you have won with empathy and i don't want to say won cuz that just sounds like it's a battle which it's it's absolutely not it's it's a relationship. It's a bond. And when you are able to succeed with your nonverbal communication, you'll be able to portray empathy and you'll be able to actually bond with that client. And it will feel much less like a transaction, which that's the one thing I hate in vet med is when you can tell you're just not bonding well with a client. And then each of your recommendations, um, they just don't feel like they hold much value. And then at the end of the day, it's like, all right, here's the total for your invoice. And you just kind of split ways. And you're like, oh, I really didn't get the value across to this client. And it just feel kind of icky. But on the flip side, when you're able to fully connect with a client and they feel valued, they feel understood, they feel like you actually care about their pet, you've bonded with them. They now trust you so much more and they're willing to go to you with those little tiny questions that they would otherwise maybe have felt like you would react or being like, oh, that's a stupid question where, I mean, I, I have clients where they're like, oh, they just, they've told me like they really value the time I take to go through things in depth and with detail and calling them back, like all of those little things, um, they start to add up and it all comes back to that empathy and that having some level of emotional intelligence. Let me just, I'll halt there and say, I am not very, I'm not like the best at this. I'm still very much learning, which is why I'm doing this podcast with you guys to share the journey that I'm going on with learning this and just being more and more aware of myself. And to a degree, sometimes it it does, it makes you hyper aware of what you're doing and what you look like. And I want to remind you guys, like that is kind of a level of fear of what you're doing, which if you're afraid of what your your face is showing or what your body's doing, that's going to come across as lack of confidence to your clients. So like we mentioned last week, things that you can do to practice that is just like Skype with a friend or if you ha- or have someone within your circle um, that you can spend time with, like do some mirroring exercises. Ask them like, what is my, like if you just have a conversation with them and then afterwards be like, oh, what did my face tell you about what I was saying? Or what did my body language tell you? And you can learn so much from that, especially when you're talking with someone where you trust them already. You you trust their opinions and you know that they're actually going to be edifying with what they say rather than just being like, I don't know, or trying to like tear you down or something. So practicing those things with edifying individuals would be a good way to practice it. And then just go and watch people. Go have fun. Um, go out to a safe space where you can be away from people, but just watch how they interact with each other and if like if you're in a you see a group of people and see you can kind of figure out who like the leader of the group is just by how everyone else is reacting to that individual um is that person sitting with an open body language 
Um, is everyone else closed? Um, if people are standing in a group, watch where their feet are pointing. That tells them if they are engaged in the conversation or if they're trying to leave. So all of those little things, um, if you just start to be more aware of them, they can make a huge, huge difference in your own awareness of what you're doing. And thus, like, like I said, it just feeds back into building that trust, building that confidence level. And this this is a topic that's really interesting for me. I just, the more I've started started to go into it and the more I have conversations with people and just realizing this is so important and I want to put it out there for these vet students, for you guys, that if nothing else, you're just more aware of it. Doesn't mean that you have to become perfect at it right now. Like right now you're in vet school, you need to focus on the medicine. You only have four years to do that. But at the same time, when you get out into practice, and if you, you won't know everything, you won't, it just is impossible. But the medicine comes pretty quickly. The emotional intelligence and nonverbal, like all of that takes a little bit more practice. Um, I will say, especially for some people more than others, but that's okay. It takes, it just takes time. So the earlier you can be aware of it and just looking around and watching what people are doing, the better prepared you will be when you get out into practice. Which I feel now that I've said all of that, it's a good time to bring up the question. And I've already alluded to this a bit, but the question of can we teach empathy to veterinary students, to veterinary practitioners? And the answer is yes. And this is something I'll go into for next week where there have been there's been research done in human medicine where they they took human practitioners and they started teaching them the skills that they needed to better portray empathy and the idea behind it was that in vet school you're taught what to say um, basically the words that you use the verbal communication but now you need to be taught how to be and in human medicine we call it bedside manner it's something that I feel like a lot of people can say, oh, my doctor has bad or terrible bedside manner. But I feel like part of that was the training that they got. They, I mean, if you look at the different types of schools of medicine, not everybody's taught to interact with, with patients the same way. So not everybody will have the same type of bedside manner. And of course, now human medicine, they're realizing and they know that portraying good bedside manner, having good empathy. It has better um, patient satisfaction, better patient outcomes. So they're focusing a lot more on how do we teach these students and these practitioners to have really good nonverbal communication to increase their emotional intelligence, if you will. So the research that's been done has been focusing on this. And I did a little bit of reading on it um, recently. And there's some interesting stuff in that. So that is where I will stop today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, if you have questions, if you want to know more, send us a question here um, on the podcast. We're happy to reach out, happy to talk with you further. But until next time, y'all, see ya. So that's it for another show. Thank you so much to Dr. Mariah and her guests for today's tips. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do to support early stage vets in their careers, then check out my book, Sorry Vet Now What, or non-clinical skills training class of the same name.
Until next time, take care. 